Welcome to Madison Avenue Presbyterian Church. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you to serve God and your neighbor. If you want to learn more about our ministry, head over to mapc.com. If you're looking for a community where you can deepen your faith, we invite you to join us every Sunday at 1030 online or in person. The gospel comes to us from the gospel according to St. Mark, chapter 13, beginning with verse 24. Let us listen for the word of God. But in those days after that suffering, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from the heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. Then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. From the fig tree learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that the end is near, at the very gates. Truly, I tell you, this generation will not pass away until all these things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But about that day or hour, no one knows, neither the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Beware, keep alert, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his slaves in charge, each with his work and commands the doorkeeper to be on the watch. Therefore, keep awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or at dawn, or else he may find you asleep when he comes suddenly. And what I say to you, I say to all, keep awake. The word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Dear God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and redeemer. Amen. I hope you each had a wonderful Thanksgiving. And now that Thanksgiving has come and gone, it definitely feels like Christmas. Not just in this sanctuary, and thank you to the deacons who decorated, but here in the city, Christmas has arrived. Laurel and I have been to Rockefeller Center. We've battled the crowds at Midtown. We even went to a Christmas tree farm in the Hudson Valley. And let me tell you, Christmas trees look a lot smaller on the farm than they do in your apartment. (laughs) But in any event, Christmas is here. But first we journey through Advent, and Advent is exciting. It's full of anticipation, preparation, excitement. It's when we long and yearn to celebrate Christmas. It's when we still have something to look forward to gathering in a sanctuary with your families and those you love and celebrating the events remembered, the birth of Christ to Mary and Joseph through the power of the Holy Spirit 
in a manger with the magi, the wise men, the kings, and the gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But it's also about our celebration of events to come, those depicted in the Gospel according to St. Mark, is coming again. Christmas is about Jesus Christ, the incarnation of the Almighty God into human form. It's about God wanting and becoming intimately familiar with our world, Emmanuel. God is with us. This is what Christmas is all about. And Advent is the buildup. Advent is our four-week period when we anticipate, expect, and reflect upon what Christmas is all about, knowing that we still have more to look forward to. During this Advent and Christmas season, I truly hope that you will make worship here at Madison Avenue Presbyterian Church a part of your Advent and Christmas experience. And I say this to members and newcomers alike. We are so glad that you are here. Your presence among us enriches our life as a congregation together. All of the festivities, the busyness of the holiday season, that's fine, that's good, and it's fun. And as you've heard, I'm very much taking part in that as well. But we need to keep it all in perspective. And I hope that worship here can be a grounding experience for you. Our gospel lesson for this morning is almost always comes from the lectionary, and it initially feels a little out of place, or at least it did for me. Here we are preparing to celebrate the warmth and the intimacy of a manger, the beauty of a young mother and father welcoming a child into the world, and the lectionary gives us the apocalyptic second coming described in Mark's Gospel. But what we have in this contrast between the manger and the second coming is not unusual, at least not for God. In the earliest verses of Genesis, at creation out of disorder and darkness, comes life, order, and light. Amid the despair of exile and wilderness wanderings of the Israelites as portrayed in Isaiah, Jeremiah, and so many of our Psalms comes a highway in the wilderness. Or as Olin and Odette read, hope in a dark, despairing world. And from the cross, of course, comes life eternal. Last night, as Laurel, Lila, and I were on the bus coming from Midtown and looking at the shop windows at Macy's, and I do not advise going on a Saturday night, <laughs> we were on the bus coming up Madison on our way home, and it was so nice to see the Christmas trees lighting up a dark corner of the street. In what sometimes might feel like a dark world, it's so nice to see our church providing light. And that's what this Wednesday's Blue Christmas service is all about. Sharing how the love of Christ, or the love shown in Christ through the work of the church, can bring light and life to those who feel that they are in need, even during these dark days of winter. And I'd like for us to do more and more of that, both literally and figuratively as well. The context for Mark's Gospel lesson is a conversation known as the Olivet Discourse, 
a conversation that takes place on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple. And Jesus is speaking directly with four of his disciples, James and John, Peter and Andrew. As Jesus and the disciples were leaving the temple, the disciples commented on the grand, massive stones of the temple, saying to Jesus, Look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. How often do you find yourself saying the very same thing? Not just with the skyscrapers at Midtown, but with the soaring sanctuary ceilings that we have right here at Madison Avenue. Our society and world has made great advancements in so many ways, not just with architecture, but science, medicine, whatever it might be. And yet, with so much advancement within our world, it is so clear, all too clear, that there is that which we cannot achieve on our own. A basic respect for life and humanity, peace evade and elude us. So it is important to remember that faith isn't to be found in buildings or the advancements that they represent, but in Jesus Christ alone. We've come so far only to realize one simple, eternal truth. We need what God provides for us in Jesus Christ. Responding to the disciples' comments, Jesus describes the destruction of the temple in a time of oncoming difficulty, persecution, and trial. Jesus tells them during those days and after that suffering, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers in the heavens will no longer be shaken. What disturbing verses, but at the same time, how amazing is it that the Gospel writer Mark gets it right that the moon reflects the sun's light. Writing in such a primitive age without those scientific advancements, when I read this I had to go back to the Greek and check it to see if he wrote it as I understood it, and I believe he does. And so if the Gospel writer gets that scientific truth right about our life, I believe he gets another truth right, one that's even more important. And that in the coming days of chaos and disorder, we are in desperate need of that which God provides. And what Jesus is telling the disciples when the foundations of the earth are shaken is that life as they know it will be forever changed. The destruction of that temple in 70 A.D. shook the foundations of Jewish life. Where were the Israelites to worship when the temple was destroyed in 70 A.D.? Similarly, almost 300 plus years later, when the imperial city of Rome, the great eternal city, fell to the Visigoths, the foundations of the world were shaken. Perhaps, too, for this country and this city, I believe it was the case on September 11th, the foundations of our world were shaken. And so many other events throughout history have shaken how we view the world. These are events 
the destruction of the temple, the fall of Rome, 9-11, October 7th, so many others, these are events after which we can never be the same. Here in Mark's Gospel, Jesus is telling the disciples about a time of upheaval, both literal destruction and chaos, but also a complete upheaval of thought. It's the turning of one's life and worldview upside down. Moments in which we can no longer view the world or ourselves in the same way. And here at the very moment of being stunned and profoundly confused with the foundations of the earth being rocked and shaken, here in these moments of bewilderment and confusion, out of darkness comes a great light. Here comes the power of Christ, the Son of Man, riding the clouds. Just as God has done so many times before, Jesus describes the light from darkness, life from death, hope from despair. But Jesus tells us, Jesus tells us that amid this chaos, he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. There is no place in which God's people cannot be saved. There is no corner in which to hide. As the psalmist in the 46th Psalm has already proclaimed, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in times of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the sea, though its waters war and foam and the mountains quake with their suffering. And as the psalmist continues, be still. And know that I am God. Amid destruction, the shaking of the foundations of the world is safety and refuge for the people of God. It doesn't mean that they will not experience what others experience. But it does mean that they have something more to look forward to. Because their hope is not of and in this world. There is something more than what gives way to place their hope. Their hope is not in the temple. It's not in Rome. It's in God. And as for the elect, that popular phrase and refrain in Calvin, let's just say that the elect are the recipients of God's grace, and let us all pray for that grace. Recalling the words of Paul in Ephesians 2.8, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God. In the prophecy of Isaiah, the people are pleading with God, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. The people of Isaiah's day are longing for the direct interventions of God in their lives, because they know that the world and their lives are not as they should be. So they cry out, not just on the grand and global scale, but more personally as well. They cry out, how can we be saved? You and I, how can we be saved? All of us, you and I, have become like the one who is unclean, and like the wind our sins sweep us away. 
And Isaiah continues, Yet you, O Lord, are our Father. We are the clay. You are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. Without taking an eye off the global and those places in which we fail to show the advancements our society and world has made, we must look inward as well. We must prepare during Advent our hearts and minds to receive and live by the grace of God as it is revealed in Jesus Christ. And so Jesus tells his disciples to be ready, to be in a constant state of anticipation and preparedness for the coming of Christ. And he says that we have something to look forward to so that when the time comes, we will be prepared. But this is so easy to forget. It's so easy to fall into routine or to just do what gets us by. We can only live in the state of heightened anticipation for so long unless it becomes a part of who we are and a part of our everyday lives. And so I believe that this is what Jesus is calling us to do, not to live in that fight-or-flight, heightened state of anxiety all of our days, which would, would just sound so stressful and miserable, but instead to be transformed so that we are a new people who accept what God has freely given us in Jesus Christ. Jesus was speaking directly to four of his disciples. Among them was Peter. And I want to focus on him for just a moment. Leading up to the crucifixion, Peter pledged to always be by Jesus' side. He made a commitment to Jesus that he would never abandon him. And then Jesus was arrested, and he was brought into the high priest's house, and Peter followed as closely as he could. And then as Jesus was on trial, being questioned, leading up to the crucifixion, Peter denied Jesus three times, and the rooster crowed. The rooster's crow represents that moment of being convicted of one's own shortcomings. The rooster's crow represents an acknowledgement of our need for grace. And if Peter, the rock upon whom the church is built, the one to whom the keys to the kingdom of heaven were given, if Peter heard the rooster crow, then I'm guessing you might have heard the rooster crow as well. Maybe you've heard the rooster crow in a broken promise to a family member or friend. Maybe you heard the rooster crow when you failed to stand up to some wrong or injustice that you have seen. Maybe you've heard the rooster crow when you relapsed into some addictive or detrimental behavior and realized how the spirit is willing but the flesh is so weak. Maybe you took the popular route instead of the right route. But there is in each of our lives, at one time or another, I'm sure, a rooster's crow, a convicting, piercing moment in which your imperfections, your shortcomings are realized, and the need for God's grace is felt. Regarding the coming of Christ, Jesus tells us, Keep awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, 
in the evening or at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or at dawn, or else he may find you asleep when he comes suddenly. Jesus' possible coming at the moment of the rooster's crow emphasizes our profound need for God's grace. The grace that loves us even when we fall short of deserving that love. In some ways, this is the end of the world as we know it. In Advent, we simultaneously celebrate that which God has already done on our behalf, all as we look forward to that which is to come. Knowing that out of the chaos comes order, out of despair, hope, out of death, eternal life. When you hear the rooster crow in your life, that is not the end, but another opportunity to accept what God has already freely given you, to look back to the Incarnation, Emmanuel, and the crucifixion and resurrection, and to look forward simultaneously to that which is to come the clear embrace of God's love in your life. And for those of us who look to God, we are freed from the sin and shame of the rooster's crow. For there comes grace and forgiveness, hope from the manger. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.